Hello, this is Gary Naylor. I think you're going to enjoy very much this podcast. It's going to be different from the others. Usually the others have dealt with a sequence of events or prophecy, what God's doing in the kingdom of heaven. Even this speaks concerning the kingdom of heaven, but what's going to make this podcast unique from the others is that we're going to examine three different things that are unrelated. I think you're going to really enjoy it. The first one has to do with our patriarchs. We're going to begin with Abraham. Of course, Abraham had two offspring, Ishmael and Isaac. We've talked about that recently concerning the Muslims and Christians. But there was a third one in this patriarchal line, and that is Jacob. We're going to look at these three, and we're going to see the kingdom of heaven in them and exactly what this pattern is. It's very interesting. I think you're going to find it most revealing, quite intriguing as well, and confirming concerning what we've been examining all along. I want you to keep in mind, the first purpose of the scriptures is prophecy. And that's something that Christians don't get. They don't understand the depth of that. But they don't have understanding concerning what is the kingdom of heaven. So without understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is, they're certainly not going to understand what the fulfillment of the kingdom is. The second thing we're going to talk about is Paul ignoring the instruction of the Holy Spirit to not go to Jerusalem. Clearly set forth, he was not supposed to go, and yet he went anyway. Why? Again, it's prophecy, folks. It's government. Yahweh lays out all of these things so that we can see and understand the kingdom of heaven and what Yahweh God is doing. The third thing we're going to consider is two events in my life that were very similar, most interesting for sure, and they too prophesied. It'll help you understand more of my own life, but also, again, what Yahweh God is doing. So we've got a three-part podcast for you today, and I think you'll enjoy it very much. Let's begin with Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, and Jacob. Here we go. Abraham, the father of faith, had two preceding offspring. Ishmael, through the Egyptian, and Isaac, through, of course, Sarah. Abraham wanted Ishmael to be sufficient to God, but he was not sufficient, and again, try to think governmentally. Why? Prophecy. Think prophecy. The second offspring, Isaac, was the promised fulfillment. But, most interesting, he was not the fulfillment in relation to Ishmael. Yes, in Some sense he was, but you're getting ready to understand that there was more going on here. And I'll point out why I say this. How many sons did Ishmael have? Well, he had 12. 
How many sons did Isaac have? Well, he had Jacob and Esau, too. And how many offspring then did Jacob have? Well, he had 12 sons. So do you see that you should be scratching your head at this point and saying, why? Why did Isaac not have 12 sons? Why did Jacob have the 12 sons? Well, before I answer that, I want to add another element to this story. In Genesis chapter 20, we read about Abraham journeying into the land of Gerar. Now, he was concerned that if someone saw Sarah, then they might kill him. And so Abraham lied concerning Sarah and said that she is my sister and that Sarah was to go along with this. Well, the king of Gerar, Abimelech, he saw Sarah, she was beautiful, and he brought her into his house. But to make a longer story short, Yahweh God revealed to him that Sarah was, in fact, the wife of Abraham, and Abimelech got very upset, knowing that a curse could come upon him, And so you see this deception by Abraham concerning his wife. Now, 80 years later, you have the son, Isaac, and he goes into the same area, Gerar. And guess who is still king? You say, oh, 80 years later, he's still king? Well, Keep in mind that Abraham lived to 175 years of age. Isaac lived to 180 years of age. So 80 years later, you know, these guys were still in the middle of their lives or at least going along to full maturity. And so what does Isaac do when he goes to Gerar? He does the same thing that Abraham did. This time, there was not a question of Rebekah being taken into the king's residence. But he told Rebekah to say the exact same thing as Abraham told Sarah. And for your information, this is Genesis 26. So Isaac then told her to tell people that she is my sister. Same thing. Same thing that Abraham told Sarah. So it's a repeat. You think, well, this is interesting. No, brothers and sisters, this is prophecy. This is government. Isaac was a repeat of Abraham. And Isaac did not have 12 sons. Isaac was a representation, if you would, of Abraham. It was not until Jacob came along that we find the 12 sons. And so you have Ishmael with 12 sons. You have Isaac with the twins. And then you have Jacob with 12 sons. Folks, let me tell you what we're seeing here. 
I will begin by asking you a question. How many apostles did Yeshua have? The same number. He had 12. How many elders are around the throne in the book of Revelation? There are 24. There have to be another 12 apostles with the latter rain work. The first bride work had 12 apostles. The body of Christ was a breach period. The second bride work, the second remnant, has to have 12 apostles. The first bride work was not accepted by God as far as the fulfillment goes any more than Ishmael was acceptable to God as the fulfillment. Are you beginning to see the pattern? Ishmael having 12 sons, but he was not accepted, is the same thing as the first remnant. You have a breach period. You have the Isaac. And then you have Jacob with the 12 sons. Again, this is the latter reign. This is the Jacob work that has 12 apostles. Why then was Isaac like his father and risked his wife, his bride, at the hands of the king and of the people? Because the body of Christ does not have the bride work and it is put at risk. Do you understand that? That's why you have this breach between Ishmael and Jacob. The Isaac work is just like Abraham. They risk the well-being of the bride. The bride work is not fulfilled except through the two works in which you have the 12 apostles testified. The kingdom of God was fulfilled in type through Jacob. You understand that now. So that's why you have Ishmael, a type of the first remnant, Isaac, risking the fate of the bride, Jacob, the second remnant, both of these two men, the former and the latter, represent the two-part remnant that each have 12 apostles. Do you understand now what prophecy was taking place in these patriarchs and Ishmael? This, my brothers and sisters, is the wonder of Yahweh God's word. He lays all of this out beforehand. He knows exactly what he is going to do. And he prophesies concerning it. The scripture says to him who has understanding, knowledge is easy. Well, if you don't have understanding, you're not going to have knowledge. And if you don't understand the two-part bride, as well as the breach in between, then you're not going to understand exactly what I just told you. And you're not going to understand why there were two sons of fresh oil, olive tree, lampstand, olive tree. And you're not going to understand why on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is what we have to have, we have to be transformed, enter into an immortal, incorruptible body. You're not going to understand the pattern there as well. To him who has understanding, knowledge is easy. 
And this is the wonder of the bride, is we understand these things, and we can also see how the Muslims fit into this whole story. The Muslims come through Ishmael. They are a type of the first remnant at the nation's level. But we have to have another work at the end, and that is the bride, and that's what's being formed right now. Do you understand all of this? This is the marvel and the great wonder of Yahweh God's word, and it's not understood until today. The second part of this podcast is from Acts chapter 21. This is the account of Paul's journey in which he went to Jerusalem. What we find is that in this journey, one of the places where he stayed was Tyre. And we read, starting in verse 4, it says, After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days. Now, seven is an interesting number. And they kept telling Paul through the Spirit. They were telling Paul through the Holy Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. But Paul didn't listen to them. And seven is the number of the church. And that can be a negative number or eventually a positive number. But with regard to the church, it is used in a negative way. So, Despite what was being spoken by the Holy Spirit, he continued towards that purpose. Now, the next point in this journey picks up in a place called Ptolemaic, and then proceeded to Caesarea. And here again, we see this number seven because it says that Philip was one of the seven. So we see the number seven again, and he stayed with him. And most interestingly, there was a prophet named Agabus who came down from Judea and he came up to Paul and took Paul's belt off and the prophet bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Thereupon they begged him not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit had already spoken, Don't go. And now, here's a warning. If you go, you will be bound. Folks, why? Why did this take place? The Holy Spirit told him not to go. The Holy Spirit showed him what was going to happen. And he went ahead and went anyway. Why? Here's the answer. Paul is a clear type and testimony of Christianity. He is the founder of of Christianity. He reveals what's going to happen to Christianity. As this type, it's the very reason that he was blind for three days when he became a believer. Three days or 3,000 years. For this very reason, he asked Yeshua 
to remove the messenger Satan from him? He asked three times. Because the messenger Satan would afflict the church for 3,000 years. And here you have the Holy Spirit saying, don't go. And Paul goes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a type of the kingdom of heaven. But is a type of the corrupted kingdom of heaven. The natural Jerusalem is. And Paul went. He shaved his head there. He was bound. And he never entered into freedom again. Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what has happened to the church for 2,000 years. It is bound, it is in captivity to Satan, and it will lead to death, just like Paul testified. It has led to death for 2,000 years. Why are kingdom men and women dying? It shouldn't be. It should be eternal life and not die. But the kingdom was too early. And Paul testified that the church would be in captivity to the nations. And that's what we've seen for 2,000 years. And it would continue for another 1,000 years if Yahweh does not cut time short and complete the bride work. Again, the last 12 sons, these are the 12 sons of Jacob. That's what we're talking about here. Both things testify concerning the kingdom of heaven, the church. I hope you understand this. And we'll quote that very relevant scripture. That which has been is that which will be. That which has been done is that which will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. The main purpose of the scriptures is to prophesy. And that's what we see in these testimonies. All right. Let's now go to the third part of this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the first two. And I'm looking forward to telling you about a couple of experiences I've had. And they are quite relevant. So let's start with the first one. Let me begin by laying down a little information. I had worked for the Texas Air Control Board in air pollution for the state of Texas for six, seven years. I left that job, and as I waited on Yahweh, he called me into the ministry. We eventually moved to Dallas, Texas, and I waited for a year after arriving there, just letting Yahweh teach me. It was a very important time because he indeed did teach me some wonderful truths, including the passing over principle, which was totally new to me and is vital. Where he passes over the first, he passes over the second and takes the third. That's just one of many things that he taught me at that time. But my money ran out and I had to get a job. I worked in the state of Texas. I had my degree. And the job that I found was cleaning carpets. And so I took my college graduation ring off, because I could lose a finger while I was cleaning carpets, put it in the top drawer, and interestingly, at some point, someone broke into my house and stole my ring and some change. So there went the significance of my degree. 
And I was cleaning carpets. I did that for over a year. In fact, I made a commitment to the man. I would do this for a year with you. And it was a wonderful time, a time of humbling for sure. It was embarrassing. I thought, boy, I just, what would, what would my friends think if they saw me cleaning carpets? Here's a guy with a degree and worked with companies in the state of Texas regarding air pollution and uh, sat behind a desk and now I am cleaning carpets. So one day I was cleaning carpets in Dallas in, in a lower part of the city. It was in an apartment complex and I looked out the window as I was getting ready to work and there was an old man sitting out on the front steps of this apartment. And I was drawn to him. He had a long coat on. He had a white hair and a big white beard. And around his mouth, it was all brownish from smoking. And he sat there and he opened up his coat and took out a bottle of clear liquid and started drinking it. And I saw that old man sitting on the steps of that apartment complex, just a street person, you know, that's all he was. When I say he's all he was, he was not a man who would, you would think of, you know, being successful at all. He was a street person. And when I saw him out there, my heart broke. And I turned over to my equipment and tried to keep working to ignore this pain that was in my heart. I mean, it was agony. And finally, I turned off the equipment, got down on my knees in that apartment that I was cleaning up for the next renter. I got down on my knees, and I cried out to God, and I said, Father, show me a way how to help people like this old man. Or take this unbearable pain away from me. And the father spoke to me. Something that I had never ever heard before. I don't even think I knew it was in the scriptures. In fact I had to go home that day and look it up. Because it was totally foreign to me. And this is what the father spoke to me. He said I have already provided a way. For people like this old man. And that is that businessmen give the corners of their field to help the needy. I didn't know what the corners of the field were. I went home and looked it up. It's found in Leviticus 23, 22. And here's what it says. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the stranger. I am Yahweh your God. That was the first time I'd ever heard of the corners of the field. To make a very interesting story short, I ended up going into the ministry while I was cleaning carpets. I started a work called Sunshine House Ministries. And I had a radio program, a five-day-a-week. had that radio program for 10 years or more. And it was called The Corners of Your Field. And I talked about caring for the poor and the needy. Our objective was to provide a home for women and children. 
I'd looked at several places. It had never worked. I helped other ministries to the poor during that time. And then finally, we were able to save $72,000 for some property on which we wanted to build the facility for the needy to help people, to take care of them. The offer that I'd made on that property was eventually rejected because the neighbors didn't want it there. And eventually, another man had a piece of property with some land and a basic structure. We came along and we built a home for women and children. That was just outside of Dallas, Texas. And I thought that was the fulfillment of what I'd asked for as I knelt down on my knees in that apartment complex to provide help for people like this old man, to provide care, to provide help for the poor and the needy. Then Yahweh God totally redirected me. As you might know, in June of 1994, when we had finally finished that home, we moved into it. We had a van donated. We were ready to start this work that we believe Yahweh God had for us to complete. In June 1994, the Spirit of God came on me. And what I thought was the fulfillment in my life was not the fulfillment. He showed me about the true corners of the field. We're talking about a remnant. The true corners of the field was not natural. It was a spiritual work. But there's no way I could have understood that. I began teaching concerning the bride. I got kicked off the property where we had built this home. And I moved to Washington State. That was in 1994. And here we are today. The question is, what is the fulfillment of this work that was built upon the foundation of seeing an old man on the steps of an apartment complex drinking his flask of whatever it was? And my heart breaking and with great pain, I said, Father, show me a way to help people like this old man or take this unbearable pain from me. I'm going to die. And he told me about the corners of the field. It wasn't the natural ministry to the poor that Yahweh had in mind. What he had in mind is this bride work. It was at this home that I thought was the fulfillment that Yahweh God there taught me concerning the true corners of the field and concerning the church, the true church. What is the true church? I'm not talking about what is the true denomination. What is the true church? It is bride, body, bride. And I saw that. And in Zechariah chapter 4, olive tree, lampstand, olive tree. This is the true fulfillment. But the question remains, who is the old man that Yahweh God broke my heart for? Who is the old man? 
Let me now tell you another story. The second story that I wanted to tell you that has to do with an old man. We had begun the ministry to the poor, as I recall, but I'm not sure it could have been before then. I won't tell you both of them, but I had two ideas. Well, let's see, I knew I was on radio, so yes, we had already begun the ministry to the poor, already began Sunshine House Ministries. And I had a radio program, and I thought of a couple of stories that were very interesting. And I'm going to tell you just one of them. The other one is extremely relevant, and you would find most interesting, but I can't tell it. It's about some sandals and about Moses. And Oh, if I have time on this podcast, maybe I'll tell you. We'll see. But my purpose right now is to tell you about the old man. Okay, here we go. Here's a story that I had that I saw vividly, and here it is. Adam and Eve, and it's just a story, okay? It's just a dramatization, if you might say. Adam and Eve were given another chance to go back to earth and to redeem themselves and to do what was right. And this was a modern-day time, you know, as we live today. And so... Adam and Eve were sent back to the earth, and they had a whole list of things that they were supposed to do. And if they could do everything on the list, then they would actually redeem mankind. So Adam and Eve got real busy, and they started fulfilling everything on the list so excited that they were going to be able to redeem mankind. And the instruction that they had was that at the completion of this, they were to go to this building, a very tall tower, you know, just in a big city, a big tall tower, and Yahweh God was on the upper top floor. And so Adam and Eve finished every item on the list. They were so excited. They fulfilled everything. They would redeem mankind. And in their excitement, they ran up to this tall towering building And there was this old man sitting on the steps. And in their excitement, they ran right past him. They ran to the elevator, got in the elevator, went up to the top, went into the penthouse and said, Father, we did it. We finished everything on the list. And the father said to them, no, You didn't. You ran past the old man. They failed. Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what we have had for 2,000 years. We got our list. We tried to fulfill everything. And we fail. What did we fail to do? We run right past the old man. This old man that we live in, this body of flesh, Christianity has never been able to help him. The devil still owns him. He still has a right to him. And he takes the old man to the grave. Christianity has never even understood or been able to accomplish deliverance 
for the old man and truly deliverance of the old man from Satan who has the power of death. This is what makes the bride different. We cannot run past the old man. The old man that I saw on the steps and I said, God, show me a way how to help this old man and people like him or take this unbearable pain from me. I guarantee you I've had pain for 22 years over bride. And it has been unbearable at times. But here's our hope. Our hope is that in this next year, 2017, that Yahweh God is going to pour out his spirit, equip and empower us, establish his bride on this earth, and we, at the last trumpet, are caught up into heaven, and we are transformed into an immortal, incorruptible body, and finally, 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 we help the old man. We get out of this flesh, and we enter into an immortal, incorruptible body, and we don't die. That's the goal and purpose of the bride is to not run past the old man and to help him in a way that has never been possible. That is our goal and purpose. That is Yahweh's goal and purpose. And we look to him to fulfill it. Okay. I'm going to share with you the other thing that I was talking about, there were two things that I saw as stories. In fact, I shared both of them with my wife. And when I shared this one with her, I was very concerned because I thought she might think, what are you saying? Are you? She, well, I'll just tell you she had concerns that she would have concerns and I'll tell you the story and you'll understand. So here's the other one. They were both at the same time. All right, here's the story. There was a man, and he went to Israel. And he was traveling around, seeing the area. He was out in the country, and he saw a cave. And he went into the cave, and there was an angel there. And there on the floor were some sandals, some of these old sandals. The angel told the man, these are Moses' sandals. And I want you to wear them. This is what you're to start wearing now, these sandals. So the man put on the sandals of Moses, and he continued his journey. When he got home, his wife looked at him and said, What are you wearing? He said, These are Moses' sandals. And didn't mean anything to her. So 
then he went to work. And he goes into work, and the boss comes up to him and says, what are you doing with doing wearing those old sandals? And the man said, well, I got them in Jerusalem. And uh, the boss said, um, no, th- th- that does not meet our dress code. You can't do that. You're going to start wearing presentable shoes. And the man said, well, I can't. I was told to always wear them. Well, he lost his job. So he goes home with those sandals. He couldn't find work. And his wife was put out with him because he couldn't provide for the family. And she kicked him out. And so he left the house. And it was dark outside. And he went and sat down on the curb in front of the house. And it was dark. And this woman walked up to him. And she sat down beside him. They talked. And they went away and performed a great work. Now, that was the story that was in my mind, along with the old man's story. They both came at the identical time. They just, boop, dropped in my mind. So what did that mean? Again, I thought, when I tell my wife this, she's going to think, Gary, are you saying I'm going to leave you? Honestly, I was conscious of that. Gary, are you saying that I'm going to leave you? But she never asked so I obviously had a connection that it would be my own life and it has I've lost my wife and my children it's now been 13 years next year will be 14 years which to me is quite significant 14 is two sevens so if Yahweh does something in my life this next year it will be a breach period in which my wife has rejected me for two periods of seven We've already talked about seven being Christianity. It would be two periods of seven, so it would be 2,000 years in type. And I hope that this breach is over and that I'll get my wife and children back. But what I see is that woman who came and sat by my side is the bride. That's what we have to have. We have to have a bride and we go out and do a work. You see, Moses is spoken of as the prophet in which it says Elijah is a prophet like Moses. The Elijah is a prophet like Moses. And so the sandals of Moses would be the office of the first remnant. The first remnant would be the type I mean, it would be the fulfillment, but it would be the Moses work. And so what has to happen is the Elijah work has to get the sandals of the Moses, has to get the anointing, the purpose, the work, the covering of his feet, which is kingdom rights. And let me tell you another story that's encouraging to me. I was at a Disciples of Christ church whenever. We had moved from Lubbock and went to Austin, Texas, where I was at the Texas Air Control Board. The first church we went to there was the Disciples of Christ Church. I was involved with the children's church uh, because I didn't enjoy sitting through the church service. (laughs) I thought I just might as well go busy myself. So I taught children's church as well. At first I taught an adult Sunday school class and I went to children's church and I didn't have to go to the church service and sit there. 
And so during that time, uh, the education director was a woman. I didn't think she liked me very much. But I was surprised because they had vacation Bible school one summer. And despite my assumption that she didn't care for me too much, she came to me one day and said, Gary, we've had our vacation Bible school and we want to do an enactment of Moses and him teach concerning the feasts, the various feasts of Yahweh, which of course is Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Because that's what they had been covering in vacation Bible school during that summer. See, she asked me, would you please dress up like Moses and tell the story concerning the feasts? She didn't tell me what I was supposed to teach about them. I had to go buy me a book and read about them and see what they meant prophetically, really. So I said, sure, I will. And so they they were going to have a banquet, you know, a graduation banquet, if you would, at the completion of the vacation Bible school. It was for everybody to come and they eat and all of that. So I said, sure, I will. So I got all prepared and I dressed up like Moses. I got me a, a staff, of course, and a beard. And uh, I put on some sandals and a robe. And and my neighbors just down the street, when I walked out, he particularly started laughing at my appearance as Moses. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> I didn't laugh. I was in type Moses, and I took it very serious, and he stopped laughing real quick. And I stood in that place of Moses, and in that moment, I was Moses. And I spoke in character concerning Moses and what everything meant. And I was slow and deliberate in telling them. And after I finished, I stayed in character. And I turned and I walked out and went back to the room where I'd gotten dressed. And I started weeping. Deeply, deeply weeping. And I said to myself, Who are you to think that you could stand in the place of a man like Moses. And I bawled and wept over the humbling of that. Some of the boys from the children's church that I taught came in and they said, Mr. Naylor, what is it? And I said, who am I to stand in the place of Moses? Brothers and sisters, I believe there's a spirit man inside of us. He knows things that we don't even know. And when we hear him, we go, yes. Because inside of us, we've always known it, but we've never really known it. But when it's spoken, we say, yes, that's it. You've probably experienced that in bride. When you hear bride, you go, yes, that's it. I'm hoping that Yahweh took me through that and I was humbled and I hope he was testifying that I might be the Elijah 
that I might stand in the place of Moses, that I might wear the sandals of Moses and lose my wife and go out and sit beside another woman and go do a great work. I hope these testimonies will be fulfilled in this day. Because brothers and sisters, there has to be a prophet like Moses, and he has to be a man. I'm encouraged by what I know. I'm encouraged by what he has taught me. But we have to have the latter rain. Without the latter rain, we will not succeed. I hope this is what we're going to see. I hope the office goes from Satan to a man. It went from Moses to Satan to a man, the Elijah. I hope that is what we will see today. May Yahweh bless you.